Take your Bibles and join me in uh, Luke's Gospel this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 through 38. Are you there? All right. Let's, I've, I've titled this message, uh, This Means War. I think for too long we have embraced Hallmark's version of Christian, of a Christian celebration of Advent, and have rejected the biblical history. Because honestly, Jesus' coming and the way he came was a declaration of war. <clears throat> God's war against sin. And that's really what Christmas is about. Whether you're Charlie Brown or not. So I want you to join me in reading this text today, beginning in verse 26 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, and when it says the sixth month, it's referring um, to uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, which we just got done talking about there in chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Um, by the way, just so you know, Galilee is not a city. Galilee is a province. Think, think county. We're in Bibb County. In, in our estimation, Galilee would be a county. Okay, there were three counties in Palestine where, where Jesus lived, and the north was Galilee. That middle county or province was Samaria, um, and no good Jew would step foot in Samaria. Of course, Jesus did. <laughs> and then the southern province where Jerusalem was in the temple, that was Judea. Um, and, and most, the majority of Jews actually lived in Judea. There weren't near as many people that lived in Galilee. Um, the Judean Jews kind of looked down their noses at the Galileans, the Galilean Jews, because they were too close to the Gentiles and the outside world. They had the Sumerians at their, at their southern border and all of the Gentiles and the trade routes coming through their northern border. And they had so much contact with the Gentile world that the conservative southerners called them the northern liberals. Not kidding. And that's why when Jesus is introduced, or the, or, or the concept of Jesus as Messiah is introduced, one disciple said, can anything good come out of Galilee? Why? He was a Judean Jew, and they looked down their noses. And he said, surely the Messiah cannot come from Galilee, because they're liberals up there. So Jesus comes from Galilee, because God likes to mess with our presuppositions, doesn't he? So he is, he is in this little town of Nazareth, and it is a little town. It's a small hovel really is what it is. Um, very, very small place uh, just south of the Sea of Galilee. Um, very tiny town. So we see there in verse 27 that this angel comes to the province of Galilee, to a city, Nazareth, and here's who he comes to, verse 27, to a virgin 
betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And he repeats it. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled. Now that word troubled in the Greek means terrified. Okay? Uh, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting that was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, Mary is a good Jew. She knows exactly what that means. She knows that that means she's going to give birth to the Messiah. That is a messianic description of the King of Israel who's been promised ever since Genesis. She knows that, but there's a big problem. She's also not dumb. She knows how biology works. Look at, look at the next verse. She says, then Mary says to the angel, how, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel said to her, do not be or, uh, afraid. I'm in the wrong verse. Let me back up. Um, 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And listen to these words. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Her response is so telling. Look at verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love that text. And I love the context of that text. But there are some issues with it. There are some scientific issues with it. Um, I'll never forget a phone call I got from my wife. I guess it was December. And I, Sam was with me. Uh, you were much younger then. I don't know if, if you remember it, certainly like I do. We were, Sam and I were in a, my car and we were driving over the swamp that lies between uh, Fort Valley um, and Roberta. And uh, we, were, we were driving down the road, and Elizabeth had taken um, three of the other kids and had, was on her way to go visit her parents in Kansas. Do you remember that, Sam? Um, Sam was with me, and I get a phone call, and it was, it was fairly early in the morning. And um, it's Elizabeth, and she says, you're not going to believe this. Well, I was already nervous about her driving in the wintertime. 
all the way from here to Kansas. They had stayed over the night somewhere. And I said, what? She said, long, she said, I wasn't feeling good. And so I stopped and took a pregnancy test. I said, you're kidding. She goes, I'm not kidding. I said, well, was it positive? She goes, you think I'd be calling you if it wasn't positive? <laughs> That's what happens when you're on your eighth kid. It's, it's, it's not like this big reveal surprise thing. And then I said one of the most, again, my, my brain just, I think I had a stroke. Um, I'm, those of you that know me, which is most of you, know that I'm never at a loss for words. I've always got something to say, even if it makes no sense. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I couldn't find a box for that to fit in. I mean, we're old people by this time. And, and uh, I literally I paused for a minute just trying to, what in the world? How can you be pregnant? And I, I literally said this, it's about an awkward moment. I literally said to her, well, how did that happen? <laughs> and she said to me, you want me to draw you a picture? <laughs> and I said, no, I know how it happened, but we're old. How can this be? She goes, I don't know, but it is. That's kind of an awkward moment. Um, and what was really funny is about three months later, I wasn't always on that road. Three months later, I happened to be in the same spot and, for, and not paying attention to anything, thinking about my next stop, whatever I was doing. And I, all of a sudden, I get on that bridge and my heart starts pounding. And I start sweating. I'm like, what's wrong with me? And I realized that's where I was when she called and told me. But that's kind of an awkward moment. It's kind of like that awkward moment. It probably happened to all of us who are parents reading the historical account, this one right here and the one in Matthew. Uh, maybe at family devotions, and the, one of the little kids, your children, raises their hand and says, what's a virgin? Right? And, and you, you have the, the awkward joy of explaining to them at an age-appropriate level what that is. Because we all know that the fact that we are born means that we were conceived. And the fact that we're conceived means that we're a product of the union of two people. And that path goes back to their parents, which goes back to their parents, which if we could do it, we could trace it all the way back to a garden in an undisclosed location, probably somewhere in what was now northern Africa. And all of us are dependent upon this entire trail and path of couples throughout all of history. We know that's how it works. And we're all the result, aren't we? of that process, except in this one case. This one's different. Scripture records for us that in this tiny village in the Middle East, just south of the Sea of Galilee, a place called Nazareth, there was a young, probably teenage woman who was a virgin. She had never been with a man in a sexual way. And in this little village, this woman that Scripture tells us is named Mary, was betrothed. Now that's different than our engagement, but that's the closest we can come. It's an engagement that's legal. You're, you're, it's, it's like being married without the benefits. You didn't live together yet. You didn't uh, have a physical relationship. You visited family, but that's the only together you got until you're actually married. So she was betrothed to a man named Joseph, but she had not yet, not yet married him. And then this angel shows up and says to her, <clears throat> you're going to give birth to a child. 
And you can imagine that's the last thing she expected to hear. And what I want you to see first of all, and it's in your outline this morning, is that the virgin birth is a declaration of war. It's a declaration of war, God's war against sin. And this thing was prophesied all the way back in a garden. We see a woman and her husband right after they rebelled against God by eating the fruit, the very God who created them and gave them one rule. How many rules, church? One. One, one rule. And word, at this point, as God brings them all together, word comes to another angel, a rebel angel, a snake. Scripture would later describe him as a dragon. We know him as Satan. God's word to that devil that day was coming with the seed of the woman. He will have his heel bruised, but he will crush your head. Now that's an odd way for God to say it, isn't it? About the coming deliverer. Not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman, which is turned around opposite. And yet, God had a plan. The seed of the woman, God says to this rebel snake, is going to bite you, and it's going to be the end of you. You will strike his and bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Here's a reality, folks, is the virgin birth is not a sweet, comforting Christmas myth. A kind idea of born out of December. In reality, the virgin birth is a scary thing. When we understand what's going on here, we'll see that in the uterus of a Nazarene virgin, God is declaring war, all-out war against evil and darkness. And as we see in our text this morning, as this angel comes to Mary and explains what's going to happen, she has a very important question. He tells her, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And she completely understood exactly what this angelic messenger said. By the way, we only have two, well, I guess three, because Satan is included in that. He's an angel. There are only three angels that, are, that we know the names of. One is Gabriel. The other is Satan. Does anybody know a third? Michael. Michael, if you got that wrong, I can't help you. <laughs> yeah, Michael is the archangel. He's the head guy, head angel, now that Satan has been ejected from heaven, right? So there's really only three named angels. In, in the apocryphal book of Enoch, there are a bunch of other angels that are named. Now, I don't know, we don't know if that's accurate or not, but it is at a minimum interesting. Um, but Gabriel comes as a messenger, and he tells Mary that God is going to send the Messiah through her. the Deliverer. And again, in that description, Mary, being a good Jewish girl, knew exactly what that angel was saying, knew exactly who she was going to give birth to. That was absolutely messianic in nature. Those are the exact terms used to describe the coming Messiah who would rule on the throne of David 
forever and ever. She knew it, but there was one big problem. And Mary gets it, and she asks, how can this be? How's this going to work? I'm a virgin. And that's a, fair, that's a fair question. I think sometimes today we look at that and we say, well, you know what? We're advanced scientifically. Um, we understand medicine way more than they did in the first century. And that's why we can't believe in a virgin birth. I got news for you. Mary didn't believe in it either. And we see in a little bit, Joseph didn't buy it either. It took divine intervention on both their parts to, to find some way. We tried to talk about that this morning a little bit. To find some way to be okay with this crazy information that God was going to suspend the laws that he created of conception. And that this young lady who had never been with a man physically was going to actually conceive a child from God himself. God himself was going to fertilize that egg. Now Mary didn't, Mary didn't believe it at that point either. Joseph was going to come around. And the answer to her question is the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. God's going to do this. But make no mistake about it. It's a declaration of war against darkness and against sin. And I'm going to show you how. Because number two, the virgin birth is a demonstration of the wages of sin. The virgin birth is a demonstration of the wages of sin. Notice, there's no human male involved here. And I've often wondered about that. Because God, I'm thinking, God could have done it that way. Figured out a way to do that. But he chose sovereignly not to do that. And then it hit me one day. Because there is no human male involved, it, is absolute, it absolutely shatters our pride and our human self-dependence, doesn't it? God was not going to do it that way. God said, I don't, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I can do this outside of you. And a few chapters earlier, in a book called Genesis, we see Eve here. And the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And look at what Eve says. And Eve said, now we have a man with the help of the Lord. They, they have a son. Remember, the last thing I said to her is, hey, uh, God said, I'm going to put this thing back right. And the serpent's going to strike, bruise the heel of the seed of the woman his heel's going to crush the serpent's head. And so she's just thinking that she's that woman. She gets pregnant through the natural means. A boy is born. And she says, this must be him. And she names him what? Abel, right? He had a brother named what? Cain. Isn't it interesting that the first, and I'm sure this is not the connection, and this is my poor thinking, but that the first human being conceived naturally and birthed into the world as a result of the first two parents is named Abel. Shortened form of ability. 
We got this, God. Watch what we can do. Right? And she says, this is it. This is the one. Here's the problem. Abel dies. Abel's not Abel. Not only does he die. How does he die, church? He is murdered at the hands of a jealous brother. A jealous sibling rivalry. He got him. He's all right. He's fine. Um, he is actually murdered by his own brother. I guess he's not the one. And then, of course, she has another baby. Does anyone remember his name? This is extra credit points. What's his name? Seth. Seth. Good. Seth. And she thought for sure this is the one. But boy, the one doesn't show up until the Gospels, the, very, uh, the first century. Everyone dies. Through all the bloodlines from Adam and Eve till now, there is one common theme. You know what that is? R.I.P. What's that stand for? Rest in peace. That's the only common theme among us. Is that we all die. And this death. They all paid the wages of sin. And what is the wages of sin, church? Death. I'll never forget standing over my own father's casket. And preaching his funeral sermon. And I preached on a theology of death. And that the reason my dad was lying there in that casket was because of his sin. And you know, I don't get to say that at most funerals. Because it's not always appropriate. But that's my dad. I can say what I want to. And I did. I told everybody there, he's lying in that casket because of his sin. And mark it down, one day you're going to be lying in yours, and it'll be because of your sin. Because what is the wages of sin, church? Death. And it has always been, and it always will be. But now we have this different person. Now we have the fulfillment of this prophecy. And he will have a name also given to him, which is Emmanuel. And what does that name mean, church? God with us. Now, you can put that on a Christmas card or cross-stitch it into a pillow. But I'm going to tell you the truth. God with us is not good news to a fallen man. It's not. God with us is not good news to a world who hates God. Matter of fact, it's the worst news possible. And yet, here he is. Adam and Eve's response to God's presence in the garden. What's the first thing they did after they ate that fruit and God shows up for their nightly uh, visit? What's the first thing they did? They hid. They never, they never played hide and seek before. Why did they hide this time? Because God with us is not good news for fallen man. And not only did they hide from the presence of God, they were hiding in their fig leaf outfits, covering their nakedness, their efforts. Fallen man and a present God is not good news. You know why they were hiding? They didn't want to be around God. And some of us are the same way. Fallen man doesn't want to be around God. 
God with us is not good news. They didn't want him around, and neither do we. We want to be left alone to live our lives without God messing it up and reminding us of our brokenness. That's true. You know about the only time you don't see that? It's when people are forced to face it, and that's at funerals. We had a funeral in here yesterday, a friend of mine, Jeff, longtime resident here at Lake Wildwood. Very interesting man. People come to funerals because they have to. I read uh, one theologian said this, said everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there when they do. And it's true because of our sin. And thankfully, Jeff had repented of his sin and put his faith in Jesus. But that's the reality. We don't want God around. We want, to, we want God to just leave us alone and not remind us that we're messed up. Not remind us of our sinfulness because we're going to fix ourselves, And at least we're comfortable in our pain. <laughs> I remember years ago when we first came here, back when there were Sunday school rooms in this. You remember that memory when we had all those rooms down there? And we were in the little nursery room there. It was, it was during the week. It wasn't a church day. And I don't know how it happened, but Ellie was running around. Just, she was just a little peanut at the time. She was running around barefooted, which most of my kids have very little use for shoes. Um, and somehow there was a tack on that floor. And she, and, and she didn't just step on it. She stepped on it so that tack buried itself in her foot all the way up to the head of that tack. And of course, she was screaming and whatnot. And I, I, I sat her down and saw what it was. And when I went to reach for it, this little tiny child turned into a monster. I mean, I, could, I was impressed with her strength. And I realized I'm going to hurt her or myself or both of us I got to get her agreement here. I got to, I got to, she got to cooperate or th this is not going to work out good. And I, and I said to her, I said, Ellie, look at Danny. I've got to get this out of your foot, this tack. I, I, I know it hurts and I know you think it's going to be horrible and it's going to hurt pulling it out. But if I don't, I'm trying to scare her into cooperation. <laughs> I said, if I don't take this tack out of your foot, you could die from infection. Somewhere in my mind, I thought that was a good idea to say to a three-year-old. And she looked me in the eye and in and, and, and a screamy little three-year-old voice said, then I want to die. <laughs> right? So my whole plan fell apart. But you know what? Some of us do the same thing. We look at God and say, then I just want to die. Leave me alone with the tack of sin in my foot. At least it's not going to hurt any more than it does. And you self-delude. Sin is not okay. And God is not okay with it. It's a demonstration of the wages of sin. He's got to send his son through a virgin. So God comes to us in history. He, he literally takes on flesh. 
It's an amazing thought. And he identifies with us as a man called Jesus of Nazareth. Not as a man. He identifies with us initially as an embryo. In the, in the uterus of Mary, he started off like, like we did. The egg split. He experienced that. He experienced having to be potty trained. Y'all remember that, Joy? You're going through that now? Isn't that fun? Right? Jesus had to be potty trained. Sometimes I think we got this faulty idea that Jesus was, was perfect in the sense that now he never sinned, but it doesn't mean he didn't have to learn how to do stuff. He had every experience we have except for sin. He had to learn to be he had to learn how to walk. Remember taking those your babies taking those first steps? That was Jesus. He goes through every single stage of human existence. There was a time when Jesus' voice began to crack. And, and girls became interesting and terrifying all at the same time. He went through that. He knew what it was like to be you. Why did we do that? So he could save us from ourselves. That's why. God with us means that you can hide back there in the bushes with your fig leaf outfit, but you better know you're going to face him. It's no fun playing hide and seek with someone who knows exactly where you are. And ultimately, you're going to come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his very presence on our planet, listen to me, is a judgment against us all. He's saying, you all are so messed up and that tack of sin is so deeply embedded in your soul that I have to come in human flesh and experience everything you experience and then pay the price for your sin, having committed none of my own, in order to pull that out of you. It is a demonstration of how expensive our sin is. But then lastly, I want you to see that the virgin birth is an act of God's mercy. Isn't it? Have you ever noticed in the, in the Genesis account how calm Eve is? She's talking to a snake. And yet she's calm. I, I, first of all, I don't think I've ever talked to a snake. I've screamed when I've seen a few of them. But I've never talked. I was out duck hunting yesterday morning in the swamp. And uh, it was warm. It was warm enough that when I finally got out there uh, in, in the mud and in the water, I'm sitting there realizing... There could be water moccasins in the swamp. It's warm enough. They could be out here. And I'm about as fast as a turtle in these waders stuck in the mud. <laughs> and I can't shoot worth a flip, so I'm in trouble. Right? She has, she's super calm talking to that serpent. Now, I think there are reasons for that. I do think some animals, I, that's where, that's where uh, C.S. Lewis got it in his Chronicles of Narnia, the talking beast. I think that was not uncommon in Genesis in, in the Garden of Eden. I don't think the snake was the only thing that probably talked. We've cracked some animal code even in this drastically fallen world and are able to communicate with some of the higher forms. I think that was probably not out of the norm per se. But she's comfortable when she approaches that old rebel serpent. And by the way, Satan wants it that way. Eve isn't scared. And Satan wants you to be comfortable you know why? Because he's feeding you like a cow on the way to the slaughterhouse. He doesn't want you to have any indication of where you're headed. But I assure you, the wages of sin is death. 
He wants you to be lulled into a false sense of security until it's too late. So Eve's comfortable. Mary's not. Because what do we see Gabriel having to say to Mary? Fear not. Now he's honest with her. He doesn't hide the truth from her and he doesn't whitewash it. You notice that? He shoots her straight. But he has to tell her not to fear. Unlike Eve, who wants to be wise by reaching out and grabbing a fruit and eating it on her own, this new woman, Mary, instead seeks wisdom the way that God has said to seek wisdom by seeking the face of the Lord. And she asks, how can these things be? Instead of Eve, who says, you're right, we won't surely die. This woman, in submission to her God, says what? Let it be to me according to your word. Eve disbelieved the word. Mary believed it. And through this virgin womb, she surrenders and opens herself up to God sending His very presence, His very Son, through her. The one who is both God and is also our brother, a human being, truly God and truly man. And He says, you're going to give birth and the child's going to be called the Son of the Most High God. And that is frightening. She knows what that means. And when Mary finds out she's pregnant, the satanic powers go mad. The first thing they try to do is kill this baby in a horrific chapter of history. Then they tempt him as a man. They drag him down to try to destroy him. And ultimately they do as they nail his torn apart body on a stake in public to die, rejected by the majority of those who follow him. And he suffers there the entire curse of death. The virgin-born God-man. But in that, you know what he's doing? He's turning back the old dragon's power. As he's removing the guilt and thus the condemnation of our sin. Isn't that great news today? He undid what was done in Genesis in that garden. But what do we do today? We hide in our fig leaf outfits, trying to fix ourselves. Here's the lie that we say to ourselves. Well, you know what? I'm going to fix it. This week, I'm going to get it right. I'm going to have a couple more days of sending it up, and then I'm going to be done with it, and then I'm going to get myself right, and I'm going to come to God, and He's going to accept me. You lie to yourself. You're depending on your own human will, which, by the way, that's what got you into this fix in the first place. You can't do it. The virgin birth is a, screams that to us today, that your ability is not enough. You need something more than this. And what is God's plan? He exposes those things you're trying to fix. And by doing so, He makes you admit, you can't fix this. You can't fix you. Most of us refuse to accept that today. And he also says, if you keep trying, it's going to kill you. Not maybe, it will. So what do we do? We must repent and believe in a virgin-born, sinless Son of God 
that he came, lived a perfect life, paid our sin debt in full, kept the law perfectly in our place, died, rose again in victory over sin, death, and the grave. And we need to accept the victory of someone else because we cannot manufacture our own. Amen, church? There are some of us today who need to be driven to the point of dependence. You need to be brought by the Spirit to the place that Mary was brought. Let it be to me according to your word. I, I, I'm done. I'm done. I can't fix me. You do it. And there's others of you in this room that are believers. You're trusting in the Lord Jesus. You really are, but you don't see in the illusion of all of our Christmas lights and tinsel and decorations the fact that Christmas is violent. Christmas is a war story. Christmas means that all the enemies of God, including of those of us who were once enemies of God, have been put down by the power of a new man who has no biological father but knows how to say Abba. Maybe what all of us need this Advent season is to be reminded of that dependence on God. To be reminded of the warfare that's going on all around us and for some of us within us. And to cry out in gratitude to God who fought our enemy for us in a surprising and unexpected and upside down kind of way. And say, all I want for Christmas is a crushed snake skull. That's the gospel. Father God, we come to you today thanking you for that gospel. Thanking you that there is a crushed snake skull. And that Satan has no victory over us because Christ won it all on that cross. Please remind us of that truth today as we repent of our sin, as we, as, as we stop trying to fix ourselves and instead fix our eyes on you, as we, as we invite you to pull out the tack of our sin, not from our foot, but from our souls. As we look at the virgin birth and realize it had to be this way so that there'd be no doubt that we are unable to fix ourselves, so there would be no doubt that in your holiness you refuse, you will never accept sin in any way, in any shape, or any form. That to you sin is not cute, it's not funny, and it's not something that you could in your holiness ever overlook. And you declared war by coming to a virgin womb and sending your son. But we also thank you for the mercy that we see in a virgin birth today. the kindness that you extended to us, where our first mother was not afraid and should have been. Our second mother feared only disobedience. May we be more like her. May we say with Mary, let it be to me as you have said. May that be the cry of our hearts. May we, like Jesus, learn to say Abba 
And may we long more than anything for the crushed skull of our enemy. And may we rest in the fact that you have done it and will bring it to completion. In Jesus' name, amen.